Welcome back to Shred's Takes Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Shredder, and I'm glad to be back on this Wednesday talking about some sports, but more specifically, I'm talking about the NBA playoff games from last night. What a night in the association. And also, I want to get in a little bit today about just the fact that the SEC and ACC have not decided to shut down football seasons and what I think the stupidity of that is. So let's get right into the NBA. Some breaking news, obviously, from yesterday that I think is crazy. Both of the number one seeds in the conferences both lost the A-seeds yesterday. The Lakers lost 193 in a matchup that everyone was kind of scared for the Lakers. Some people even have the Blazers winning. And you watched last night, and they, I think there's good reason to think the Blazers can win the series. Now, I personally do not think the Blazers are going to win the series still. I think that that was a good game for them last night, but I think the Lakers will win six or seven games because I don't think the Blazers will go away, but I think the Lakers will adjust. But the problem with the Lakers is just their atrocious three-point shooting. This has been something they're last in the bubble in shooting entering this game, and they shot five of 32 from the three-point line last night. That's 15%. That's atrociously unacceptable. Especially because LeBron James gave you 17 assists last night. He should have had 25 at least, right? And Sorry, he gave you 16 assists last night. Still, should have had nine nine more assists at least. And the problem with that is that, you know, Danny Green was airballing threes. Kyle Kuzma was shooting threes off the backboard. And because what Portland was doing defensively, which people do not really understand, is Portland was whenever LeBron caught the ball and drove, they brought two guys to him every time, forcing him to kick out. So they did what some teams don't do against LeBron. Some teams are saying, oh, okay, it's fine. LeBron wants to be the scorer. We're going to make sure the other guys don't get off. But Portland was saying, hey, you know what? We'll let the other guys shoot because they can't shoot, and we'll let LeBron James be that distributor. Now, the problem I see with that is LeBron James' guys look at that situation and say, you know what? I'm going to take over the game no matter what. And I'm going to say to AD that you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing as an offensive player. I'm going to go and be downhill. Even though I shoot 11 for 30 from the floor, I'm going to be super aggressive and just not really care about what you guys want. And that's the problem. The problem is last night is even though I think LeBron played well, he didn't play dominant. And I think that's crucial. Now you're going to look at those numbers and say, well, he did play dominant. But no, he didn't. He didn't play dominant. If LeBron James really wanted to be dominant last night, he would have had 30 points in that game easily. And I don't think he would have had any problem doing that. Now he had seven points in the fourth quarter. And he missed two free throws late. That's a problem, right? You know, it could have been nine points right there. And if AD makes his free throws, right, that, that, that's a three-point game instead of a seven-point game. But also in that situation, maybe also you put a lot more pressure on Portland to deliver. Now, everyone can trust Lillard in that situation. Lillard proved again last night with big fourth quarter three after three to get the job done. And the problem with the Lakers is also simple, too. The supporting cast just isn't very good. And I think without Avery Bradley, without Rajon Rondo, it's got a lot worse. And besides JaVale McGee last night, their supporting cat ass shot 29% from the floor. That's atrocious. If you want to win a playoff game, you can't have some of your supporting cast shooting 29% from the floor, especially because it's not like they were getting face guarded, such like Duncan Robinson when he played the, the Pacers yesterday. What Portland was doing was literally crowding the paint against LeBron James and forcing these guys to make plays. And they couldn't make plays. And they weren't getting, you know, double team like LeBron was last time. Whenever LeBron caught on the post, 
he would have a guy pressuring him, and then he'd have another guy in the paint every time. Just go look at the game film, and you'll see that that's what's happening. And you have KCP who shoots 0 for 9. Alex Caruso who goes 1 for 6. Kyle Kuzma goes 5 for 14 from the floor, including just a couple horrible shots from him. And that's a the problem. They don't have a good supporting cast. And if Kyle Kuzma is not going to be consistent as that third option, LeBron James is just going to have to take over the game. And I've been saying this for a long time is LeBron is one of the greatest players of all time because of his ability to score and get his teammates involved. And look, he did a great job of getting his teammates involved last night too. But here's the problem. The problem is that he needs to be more aggressive because he can score on Portland anytime he wants. Now, he missed some shots he probably would normally make. And Hassan Whiteside had five blocks last night, which makes a big difference in terms of him getting, being able to go to the rim. He, had, he blocked LeBron twice, including in the tie game when Dame broke the tie of the three. But LeBron, I didn't have any problem with his level of aggression at times when he wanted to be aggressive. And again, he has a shot blocked. I don't really have an issue with that because he's being aggressive, right? The problem with him is just that he can't just be sitting there saying, oh, I'm a content with 23, 17, and 16 last night, like other superstars would be. Because LeBron James claims, and he is claimed to be the best player in basketball. Right now, I'd say that's Lillard right now, based on the bubble. Lillard is the best player in basketball, hands down. And I guess the last takeaway I take from it is just that Portland has no fear of the Lakers. They have no fear. They have a lot of confidence in themselves. And that's why the series is going to be a tougher series because of the fact that if the Lakers are going to get 17 offensive rebounds last night, shoot 97 field goals compared to 79 for Portland and not capitalize on that by shooting 65% from the free throw line by only scoring three more field goals than the actual Portland did, that's going to be a problem going forward. And 80's got to be tougher. 80's got to be tougher. He was falling over the place, being a little soft down low. Now you're going to say, oh, yeah, he shot 17 free throws. Good job. He was 8 of 24, and I wouldn't consider Nurkic a good defender. He can beat Nurkic. I mean, if you're considered that all-world, you got to be able to step up and now the pressure get to you. And for LeBron, that's frustrating because if LeBron's relying on AD to be that scorer because LeBron's older and can't do it as well, that's not going to allow the Lakers to win this series because if AD consistently plays as soft as he's been playing, you're not going to win many games going forward. And that's not going to allow you as the Lakers to beat a team that is hungry, driven, and together like the Portland Trailblazers are right now. And, yeah, just think about it. That, that's crazy. The fact that, you know, you have Nurkic who goes 16 and 15. You have CJ as a big third quarter. Lillard gives you 34. Whiteside gives you five blocks. Wenyan Gabriel gives you good minutes. But the Lakers completely dominate them on the boards. They get 12 more offensive rebounds than them, and they just – and 18 more field goal attempts, but only make three more field goals than Portland did. You know, because Portland shot a lot of free throws last night. That's unacceptable. That's unacceptable for the Lakers going forward. And they and I think LeBron will turn around. But LeBron's got to look at this game and say, I got to be aggressive no matter what. I am not going to stand here and let this happen. And some people are saying I'm not concerned. Well, I think there should be a little bit of concern, but I think that you have to also understand that LeBron can has never had. If you look at the 2018 with Cavs, he didn't have great game ones all the time. And he came out in game two and took over. So just let's see how game two goes before we say Portland's definitely winning the series, right? So I think that's where we go from there. Now the Bucks lost yesterday by 12 to the Magic. Nikola, Nikola Vucevic gave you 35 points yesterday. Giannis gave you 31 and 17 and 7 assists, but he had no points but with 11 minutes to go and lessen the game in the fourth quarter, and they lost. Now, why is that a problem? Because what Orlando did is they built the wall, and Giannis couldn't hit any threes. 
Giannis shot below 50%, shot 12-25, and that was a lot of that was a problem in the fourth quarter. Chris Middleton, once again, just shows why I just don't think he's a very good second option, shooting 4 of 12 from the floor. And while some people might say, you know, he's a great player, he is a good player. I'm not, he's 20, you know, he's a, almost a 50-40-90 guy for a reason. He's a good player, but he's the third option on a championship team. He's not your second option. And do I think Milwaukee's going to lose this series? No, they're not going to lose this series. But that's a problem for them moving forward. If Giannis does not have it go in the fourth quarter, who are you going to turn to? Eric Bledsoe gave you 15. That's, that's nice, but he's not like an exceptional superstar. It's Chris Middleton. But Chris Middleton was 4-12 against the Orlando Magic, right? It, it wasn't the Toronto Raptors. It wasn't the Boston Celtics. It wasn't even the Miami Heat, who they might see in the second round. And having Orlando just absolutely back cut you to death, Terrence Ross scoring 18 points yesterday, and Gary Clark scoring 15, that's just unacceptable for the Bucs. The Bucs just didn't defend anyone yesterday. 122 points to a team without Aaron Gordon and Jonathan Isaac, especially a team that you've blown out four times this year, not good enough. That's not going to get the job done. Credit to, credit to Steve Clifford, though. He did a great job scouting, great job of helping his team build the wall yesterday against Giannis. Really just an exceptional job by him yesterday to get that job done. Now jumping into the Heat and Pacers game. What I took away from it is that Indiana was short-manned, so it was tough for them to come back with Brogdon and Warren not scoring a, like a crazy amount of points. The one thing I will take away, though, is, is Jimmy Butler's a dog. Absolutely, 100%. Jimmy Butler made huge plays down the stretch. You know, he – so at one point in the game, it with I think it was like with two minutes to go, they put a stat line up on TNT who was broadcasting the game and saying how TJ Warren had 22 points and Jimmy Butler at 18. From that point on, Jimmy Butler outscored TJ Warren 10 to nothing. And also shut him down at defensive end, getting a jump ball, stripping the ball from him on a steal. And also just making big two clutch threes and then a clutch drive to his right hand, a little banker off the glass. And what he did really well, and I'll give Jimmy Butler credit this, is he makes a stance of always trying to get in the paint so he can get his guys open shots. You saw Goran Dragic get open threes. You saw Bam Adebayo really work well with Jimmy Butler because Jimmy Butler – and Goran Dragic as well, they would just get in the paint and Bam Adebayo would be able to work and do what he does well. Now, Bam Adebayo is not a shooter, obviously. He's really good getting to the basket and good at facing you up and using his athleticism and speed. But the Heat play so well together, and they play so tough. Now, they have had a lot of losses in, in a lot of close games this year and blowing leads. They have the most blown leads in the NBA, uh, 10 points or more. But they really came together last night, especially if Oladipo's hurt going forward. This series is going to be over in five games. And if Old Depot comes back, it'll probably be six, seven games. Um, I think the Heat are still going to win the series. And I think the Heat proved last night how their level of continuity is so high. And that really helps them overachieve as they go forward. And I think that they can give the, you know, the, the problems for the Bucs because the Bucs don't look very good right now. But it was one game against Orlando. They're probably still trying to figure out the kinks. Um, I'm still not really worried about the Bucs winning that series again, like I said. But the Heat proved yesterday a lot of stuff to me about their level of toughness and the supporting cast stepping up and the fact that they just they have no ego on their team, really. I mean, like, yeah, Jimmy Butler thinks he's a great player, but he's doing a great job of leading this young team and also being a, a, available, to, you know, saying, I'm not necessarily a three-pointer. I'm not going to take eight threes a game. I'm only going to take two or three when I need to. Be that guy you can go to in the clutch. 
And that's been the heat problem, saying, like, who can they go to the clutch and consistently get a bucket from? I would have always said that's Jimmy Butler. But he proved yesterday also the fact that he can get you clutch buckets. And that's so important going forward for them as they continue to battle Indiana. Now, T.J. Warren did prove some things to me yesterday, but I think that what they did, the Heat did a great job of is when he caught the ball in the post, they doubled from the baseline, which made it really hard for him to do his pad and spin move back to his right hand. And even when he caught the ball in the post, Jimmy Butler would not go for his face, and he, Jimmy Butler moved his feet. And that made it really tough on T.J. Warren to be as effective in the mid-range area as he has been. Now, he did hit a couple threes. He didn't shoot a bad percentage or anything like that. Um, and I think that the problem with Indiana is Indiana would move the ball around and get to Malcolm Brogdon when he'd switch on to, like, a Duncan Robinson or a Bam Adebayo. But the problem is, you know, with Bam Adebayo, like, that wasn't a mismatch. Bam Adebayo has great lateral quickness, and he was able to stay in front. And then the Pete packed the gaps to allow them to force out the shooters. And the shooters, as opposed to the first half, weren't hitting their shots. So that also caused a little bit of a rift and a problem for the Pacers as well. Now, also, Miles Turner is not playing inside, so that's a bit of a problem. Now, Jakar Sampson provided great minutes for them yesterday. But do I think Jakar Sampson is going to give you 10 points every night? No, I don't, right? But they, they, look, they, they, their team is definitely missing Sabonis. If they had Sabonis, I think they would be able to win this series for sure. Because Sabonis is a guy who's a great passer. He's great in the pick and roll. And he's a guy who's just really physical and good in the post. I mean, he gives you, you know, 19 and 11 for a reason. He's a great player. And uh, not having all the deep after the first quarter also is a problem too, right? And you're relying on TJ Warren and Malcolm Brogdon to win you the game against Jimmy Butler. And I would take Jimmy Butler any day of the week over those guys. And Goran Dragic honestly looked like, you know, the second best player on the court yesterday. Um, and a band out of bio played a good game. So that's really where I go from there. Now the last playoff game is with the Rockets and the OKC Thunder. Now, everyone thought going to game one, the OKC Thunder would definitely come out with the victory. But we, I think what they saw yesterday, I think when people watched the game, really saw that if James Harden is playing at that MVP level, the Rockets can be dangerous. And even without Westbrook, he had 37 points yesterday, but it wasn't just his 37 points. It was the fact that he was able to get other guys involved. Just reading off some stats, Jeff Green had 22 points off the bench and also it made, what they did really was they put Jeff Green at point guard times too, which made it really tough for the bigs because you're not just focusing all your attention on Harden when he has the ball. And it's making it easier for Harden to get the basketball actually too. Because Jeff Green really, is, is good at going off the dribble. Jeff Green also hit threes yesterday, which again causes Stephen Adams to go out and have to guard on Mike Muscala. And the problem is too is that the help from the, from the Thunder was not good yesterday. So when James Harden would drive left, there wasn't a lot of help in the gaps to force him to want to kick the ball out. Now, if Daniel House makes a three in your face versus James Harden scoring, I would live with that personally. You know, look, like, obviously, the, they, they shot exceptionally yesterday. Like, their starters did an unbelievable job yesterday. Just looking at their stats generally, they had 39% from three, 48% from the floor, and you have guys like Eric Gordon who gave you 21 points, Ben McElmore who gave you 14, P.J. Tucker gave you 11, Daniel House gave you nine, Jeff Green was plus 28 in the court, and he gave you – 22 points in 32 minutes. You know, for the Thunder, the Thunder had a little bit of problems, right? The Thunder struggled. And I'm looking at them right now. You know, Dennis Schroeder gave you six points and three of 12 shooting. Chris Paul really just could never get in a rhythm that entire game. He had four turnovers. And, you know, he had a lot of points in garbage time. And he had 20 points. And you had Steven Adams, who just, again, Steven Adams is just a guy that you can't always just like throw the ball into. I mean, he had a good game yesterday. He had 17 12. But, you look at the field goal percentages, and you're like, oh, 44%, 37% from three. You know, they should have been in this game. 
but they weren't because they didn't defend well enough. And also, Chris Paul just didn't play well enough in the first three quarters to get the job done. And that's the problem. Like the, the Houston Rockets were just making every shot, it felt like, whenever OKC would make a run, get it down to 12 points. Houston was able to come back. Now, Gallinari is a great sign for them. Gallinari did have 29 points yesterday. And the Thunder, I think, will bounce back. I think the Thunder just need to understand that when you have to be more disciplined on a guy like Harden when you're going to close down his step back. You can't foul him. You have to be able, when he drives left, to be able to help him gap more and make him give up the basketball to a guy who's not as comfortable shooting threes. But also, I don't think they're going to shoot the ghost guys who made threes yesterday are, not, are going to be able to hit all those threes again. Now, if Jeff Green gives you 22 points every night, then Houston's obviously a much different team. But that's the problem. I don't think that's going to continue. I think this is a great first step for Houston, but I don't see that continuing in game two with just the, the trend of their other supporting cast based on the three-point shooting percentages. Jeff Green is not a great three-point shooter. He's a low 30s three-point shooter. So I don't see that happening. Do I see Harding giving you 37? Sure, I can see that. I mean, based on his playoff trajectory, I would say no. But, I mean, Harding could definitely give you 37 at night. But if he does, you're not going to win many games if you're the Thunder. So that was my takeaways from the NBA. Now, jumping into another thing, too, I wanted to get quickly into. So the Pac-12 and the Big Ten last week shut down their fall seasons. Those are finished. But the SEC and ACC have not decided to do that. Besides, despite the fact that UNC had 85 positive cases and they had to go online before all the students, they can't be on campus. So I'm saying, okay, that's fine if you want to have the players on campus for football, but then the players say, like, pay the players. Like, they, they didn't ask for this circumstance, right? They're not getting the normal college life. And I also think, it, I think it's just not very smart to have the players in the danger zone playing football where there's a chance for greater amounts of COVID when you play football. Football's a very physical game. You're with 50 guys, and that's a problem. And I think that's going to be a big problem for the ACC and SEC to deal with. They're carrying a lot of their money because the SEC gets a lot of the money from football, right? A lot of it because SEC is known as the best conference in the FBS. But the problem is, is then again, are you worried, more worried about the safety of the players or are you more worried about your money? And if that's the case with the money, then you're making a big mistake because I think that's the thing you need to continue going forward. Anyway, I think the problem with the football, football going forward is that you're going to have the FBS looking at teams with the SEC and the ACC and seeing that there's real big issues with the fact that they're, that they're doing these protocols. Now I hopefully see that this has hopefully can change better in the future, but I do not see that necessarily happening. And I think that they're going to suffer the consequences of a lot of positive COVID tests on those specific teams. And I think that's the problem going forward. And I think that I understand that Clemson and Florida State are big and Virginia Tech are big football schools. I get that. I get the fact that Alabama, LSU, Georgia, you know, are, are Florida are, are, are great schools and they need their football. But is the safety of the players more important? I would say it is. And I understand they make a lot of money, but I don't think that the safety comes second to the money. And that's why I, I, I'm just saying, if you're going to do that, you have to pay the players and the NSA won't do that. So the thing is, why are you having, why are you having pushback? Why are you not just canceling your season? Especially because North Carolina is a hotbed and there's a lot of ACC teams in North Carolina. And that's where the PAC 12 shut it down. And the ACC also has teams that are in a hotbed to like Florida, right? Georgia, same thing. So I don't really see the whole deal there, but 
I, I obviously am not the NCAA. They'll build up the tournament. And I'm not the ACC and SEC commissioners and presidents. So I don't understand that either. So as a result, just I'm saying, like, when you think about these things, like, I hope you're thinking about safety first versus the fact of money first. And I think that's, even though I know that it's important for these schools because that's how they make their livelihood, the safety of their players is going to be better because if you want more guys coming to your teams, you might as well be a little bit more safe. Now, I encourage you guys to check this up on YouTube. I have a podcast, Spotify. Subscribe to my YouTube channel if you haven't already. And I'm going to be producing Friday with a cross-country runner on Bentley, D2. And um, I hope you guys have a good one. Thank you again for tuning in to the show, and have a good day, everyone.